following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army then he said to me son of man these bones are the people of israel they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone we are cut off Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back from the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Wonderful, Ruth. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Well, do keep that part of the Bible open. And if you're sitting in an aisle seat, underneath your seat, uh, there are a whole load of handouts, um, which if you could pick that up and pass it along the row, that would be fantastic. Brilliant. So hopefully you've all got a handout and your Bibles. Love to take opportunity to, to welcome, especially those who are new here or visiting um, today. It's really, really wonderful uh, to have you with us. Uh, we've got a good number of visitors today, and it's, it's wonderful to have you uh, with us here uh, together. And as some has been saying, we've been going through a bit of a series together as a church on the gathering. Uh, why we do what we do uh, when we come together Sunday by Sunday 
as, as a church. And um, today we're thinking about God's word for us. God's word for us. Uh, let me lead us in prayer as we come to God's word for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, the Bible, that through it we can know you, we can receive life, and we can be changed. Lord, as we think now about the place of your word in the life of our church, please give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to obey, and wills to do as you please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, every Sunday, around this sort of time, uh, Simon or I or someone else will stand here and preach for about half an hour, give or take. And incredibly kindly, you listen and you engage. Uh, some of you like to jot down notes. Uh, many of you nod and smile and uh, show all sorts of encouragement, very occasionally, very occasionally. Someone might just be nodding off somewhere. Um, but, but it's something we do week by week by week. And what I want to think about this morning is, uh, why do we do this? Why do we do this, and how can we do it well? Uh, those are the two questions. Why do we do this? How can we do this well? So in our series in The Gathering, just give us a quick recap. Two weeks ago, uh, we started, and we thought about what a precious, special thing it is for God's people to gather together week by week on a Sunday to spur one another on. We're not to neglect doing this. Uh, just as coals on a barbecue, do you remember that illustration? Coals on a barbecue need one another to keep on fire. So we need one another to keep on fire for the Lord. Last week we thought about why we do what we do when we gather in all the different elements of the service. Uh, things that in so many ways seem so ordinary. Uh, singing together, praying, the Lord's Supper, baptism, chatting with one another, reading God's word, having it preached. And yet, we thought about how they're the, the means of God's grace for us. And through that, he reshapes us and reorientates us and retunes our hearts and our minds with the story of the gospel, reminding us of our place in it. This week, we're focusing, as I say, on the place of God's word, the Bible, uh, in our gatherings. What place does this book have in our times together? Now, in one sense, the whole of our gathering is centered around God's word. And Matt Merker uh, puts it like this. He says this, when we gather, we read the word, we pray the word, we preach the word, sing the word, and see the word. In other words, everything we do is saturated by God's word. But this morning, I want to particularly focus on that part of the service where we read God's word, as we've just had, beautifully read by Ruth. And then one of us comes and, and preaches this. Why do we do this? How can we do it well? Now, uh, I, rather than an ABC, I couldn't work out an ABC on the outline, but I've gone for a DEF. I hope that works for you. Uh, we're going for a DEF a little bit further down the alphabet. 
and uh, three thoughts about how we can do this well and why we do this. And the first is this. We are to be devoted to the Word. Devoted to the Word. On your handout, you'll see a reference from uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, where he says this to Timothy, until I come, Paul writes, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul's saying lots of things here, but one thing he's saying loud and clear is that reading the Bible out loud in church and preaching it and teaching it and making a lot of effort with that, it's a big deal. It's vitally important. Actually, if we look back to the history of God's people, we see again and again and again this pattern of God's people gathering around God's Word. So you can go all the way back to uh, the assembly of Israel uh, under Joshua. They gather together in Joshua 8, you can read it, around God's Word, the whole people coming together to hear God's Word read. Under Josiah, famously, in 2 Chronicles 34, God's people again come together around God's word. Under the time of Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 8, we see this picture of all the people of Israel, God's people coming together under God's word. And actually that tradition carried on through the centuries and it was central to the life of a synagogue, that God's word would be at the heart of it. And so when the early church started after Jesus' resurrection, it was the natural thing for God's people to do, to gather around his word. There was something significant to do this communally. Gathering around God's word brings God's people together. It unites God's people. Now, I love podcasts. I love listening to sermons from people. You can now listen to sermons from people all across the world. Uh, That is a wonderful thing to be able to do. But when we come together as a church, as an assembly, as a people of God, and gather around God's word, something different is going on. We are being united around it. And the Bible says we're to devote ourselves to it. Not simply because we love words on a page, because we're sort of bookie-type people or anything like that but because of the one who spoke it. Now, from time to time, I keep letters uh, that are written to me. People still write letters today. I'm sure you write them every now and then. And uh, it's lovely to keep a letter. And here's one I've got from my mum. I thought I'd pull this one out, being Mothering Sunday. And uh, it's a lovely letter that she wrote after a special birthday a few years ago. And, um, you know, lovely though this piece of paper is, I keep this letter not because I value this paper. It's because I value the one who wrote on this paper. It's about the person who wrote these words. That's why I keep this letter. 
So too with the Bible. It's God's letter to us. And so we treasure it not because of the paper or the print, but because of the person who wrote it. This is God speaking to us through his word. This is God speaking to us. And so we should be devoted to it. Now, what does this look like? Uh, I mentioned last week, I think, Thomas Cramner, who was Archbishop of Canterbury, back in Henry VIII's day and Edward VI. And he wrote a, a wonderful prayer. Uh, he wrote many wonderful prayers, but he wrote a prayer particularly for the second Sunday of Advent. And uh, this, I think, is a really helpful way of us thinking about how we should approach Scripture. So here we go. Here's uh, Thomas Cramner's prayer. Again, it's on your handouts. And he wrote this, Blessed Lord, which has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Okay, a little bit of old English in there, but there's a brilliant phrase that speaks of what our devotion to Scripture should look like, that we should come to Scripture, we should read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Isn't that a brilliant way to come to God's Word? To read it, to mark it. I don't know if you like reading, uh, uh, writing on books. I know some people absolutely can't stand it. I'm a big writer all over books. And I think that's the sort of picture being given here, of to, to write on it, to really grapple with it, to learn from it, and to inwardly digest it into our life and our being. That's what it looks like to be devoted to Scripture. Now, what does that look like for us now, for example? Well, it's why we uh, do a handout. Um, for some people, not everyone, uh, one of the best ways of thinking things through as we're hearing about them is to have a pen and just jot things down and warmly encourage you to do that if that works for you. Uh, one top tip when it comes to thinking about sermons at church is to read the passage beforehand. You'll be amazed the difference it makes. And on our term card, we deliberately write out all the passages that we're going to be preaching on through the course of a term. And there's no better way to spend three or four minutes on a Sunday morning, Saturday at some point, just read the passage that we're going to be looking at. And if you come to the sermon with that passage in mind, it will really open it up even more for you. Another thing uh, that we do that I'd really encourage you on is to discuss the sermon. Uh, why we have tea and coffee afterwards? For lots of different reasons. To share fellowship with each other. We are thinking last week lots of different types of conversations we could be having. And one of them is to talk about the sermon. What did you make of that? Uh, what particularly struck you about that? Uh, there's a good couple of questions to be thinking about. And it's actually it's one of the blessings of being in small groups. Often we try and line up our small groups to uh, coincide with what we're looking at on a Sunday so that we can think more deeply about the passage. So there we are. We're to be devoted to God's word. Second, we're to be empowered by the word. 
Devoted to God's Word, empowered by the Word. Why is it so important that we're devoted to God's Word? Well, it's because that is where life and power is found. I guess we know, we know in life that words have power. Uh, Think Gary Lineker and his tweet. He wrote, I counted them up, 32 words. 32 words, that's all. And yet, think of the crisis that erupted a week or so ago. Uh, Walkouts, damage to the BBC, match to the day without any commentary, uh, major political dispute. 32 words, that's all he tweeted. Words are powerful, aren't they? And we see that in this amazing scene that Ruth wonderfully read for us in uh, Ezekiel 37. I love this scene. It's such a vivid picture of what is going on spiritually in our lives. So think of the picture. This is the, uh, where uh, Ezekiel is taken by the Lord, and uh, there's this valley, and it's a valley full of bones. Just sort of picture it in your mind. And they're not just bones, they're very dry bones. In other words, there's not a drop of life in them. And God asks Ezekiel, who is seeing these bones, he's saying, can these bones live? To which you think, well, no. How can bones live? Although Ezekiel gives a rather better answer, actually. He says there in verse 3, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. That's a great answer. And then God said this. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. So this is what Ezekiel did. He spoke God's word. He prophesied, spoke God's word to these bones. And what happens? Well, as the passage goes on, we hear about the rattling of bones. That's quite an image, isn't it? And then tendons and flesh And then eventually the breath of life is breathed into them. And we end up with this army of living, breathing people. What brought that about? God's word. Ezekiel was called to prophesy, to speak God's word to these dry bones. And that is a picture of what is going on for us spiritually. As God's word is read and proclaimed... God brings life. Uh, This is how the Apostle Peter puts it in the New Testament. Speaking to Christians, he says this, verse 23, you'll see this on your handout. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through, how have they been born again? Through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Striking, that quote from one of the Psalms is put in there. We are like grass. Uh, All these daffodils all around. That's what we're a bit like. Daffodils looking great today. See what those daffodils look like around Easter Day or by mid-May 
They will gradually wither and fall. And that is the human state, isn't it? Our fallen, sinful state means that we all face the reality of death. But God, through the gospel, speaks life to us. In the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place, paying the penalty that we deserved. The one who rose again to new life. As this message is spoken, God, through his spirit, brings life. He births life, spiritual life, in us. As we hear of the forgiveness available in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how it works. This is what Peter says here. This is the word that was preached to you. God's word is enduring and living and so life-giving. By nature, we're, we're like sort of mobile phones that have just gone dead. No juice in them at all. We're like those bones, those very dry bones. And yet, when a phone, how do you bring it to life? You plug it in to the source of power. And so through the gospel, through God's word, we come to the source of life, God himself, and we are brought to life. We thought of what Matt Redmond, the musician, says last, last week, that we, as we gather together, we're to breathe in revelation, literally giving us breath, giving us life. And then we breathe out response. And this is what we're doing week by week, breathing in God's word, receiving life. Here's a test. How long can you hold your breath for? Normally try this in a church family focus. Here we are, as adults. I'm not recommending we do this. There could be, uh, could go wrong. But, you know, how long can we hold our breath for? We can't live for long without breathing, can we? Spiritually speaking, it's the same. We can't live for long without God's word. We need his life giving word. I think that helps us to see something of the essential but sort of non-dramatic nature of the reading and preaching of Scripture. Sometimes uh, we, we might be thinking, you might be thinking, look, I remember next to no sermons. You know, I think back to my life. I've been in church many times or whatever and sat through all these different sermons, and I can barely remember any of them. You might be thinking, look, I've, I've filed my notes at home, or maybe they just went straight in the shredder, or I just left them at church. Um, uh, you can't even remember last week's sermon. Now, by the way, no offense taken on this at all. But here's the thing. How many, how many t- breaths do you remember that you've taken in your life? Probably not many. And yet without them, you would have died. Or think of it like this. How many meals have you eaten through your life that you remember those meals? I mean, maybe they're one or two spectacularly good or spectacularly bad meals that sort of sear themselves on your, on your memory. Uh, but probably most meals in life you don't remember. Yet without those meals, you'd be dead. Similar to God's word. We need God's word in our life to give us power that we might know life. So, we're to be devoted to God's word. We're to be empowered by God's word. 
But there are real dangers when it comes to God's word. And finally, I want us to think about those times when we can fail to hear God's word. Failing to hear God's word. That's our F. Now, Jesus said, it is possible. It is possible, this is quite striking, to be ever hearing but never understanding. It is possible to come to church week after week after week after week to listen to thousands of hours of sermons and never really to be understanding what's going on. To somehow sort of resist God's life-giving word. I just want us to think about three ways in which we can do that. The first is this, when we think we're hearing just someone else talk, when we come to hear a sermon and we think we're just hearing someone else talk. Now, it's important to say this. If the Sunday sermon was all about us listening to my thoughts on the state of the world and our lives, you don't need me to tell you we'd be in all sorts of trouble. I guess I could offer some generally plausible insights into English cricket. I could probably share one or two thoughts from history, I mean, being a history teacher. I'm fairly up to speed with the news, so I'm happy to chat about that for a little bit. But that's about as far as it goes. That's probably enough for a sort of a one-off talk, short one at that. I've got nothing original to say. But thankfully, that's not my role. Simon would be far more interesting. He could get a couple of sermons out, I'm quite sure. But we've got nothing original to say. But we don't have to, because that's not our role. Our role is to bring God's word to us. That is our role, to bring God's word to us. I take great comfort in the fact that the script of every sermon I ever preach has already been written. I don't have to come up with original stuff. It'd be wrong for me to come up with original stuff. I just want to preach this book and to bring this book and to land it in our lives. That is the role of the preacher. John Stott, uh, some of you will know, a wonderful author, wonderful godly man, a rector of all souls, Langham Place. Uh, He spoke about the role of the preacher, about being someone who's in the business of double listening. Double listening. Listening to God's word and listening to God's world. And to be building a bridge from one to the other. From God's word into our lives, into our world. And sometimes when preaching goes wrong, that bridge building goes wrong in one way or another. So it might be that the sermon is firmly rooted in God's word. But it doesn't land into our world. It's just sort of left somewhere up here. Those are those sermons that can just feel a bit dry, a bit disconnected, a bit irrelevant. The other way preaching can go wrong is that they can be incredibly landed in our lives. They are scratching where we're itching. They feel incredibly relevant. But frankly, where the ideas have come from, who knows? The preacher is to be double listening, bringing God's word, his unchanging word, faithfully into our ever-changing lives. That is what should be going on. And we all have a role to play in this, to ensure this is happening. So uh, let me point you to the Bereans. 
Be like a Berean. So on your handout, you'll see a reference there in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, to how the Bereans listened to sermons. Uh, This is what we read. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's a brilliant example. People of noble character. St. Michael's, you're of noble character. One of the ways you can live that out is to receive the message of scriptures with great eagerness as they do here and to look at them and to check that what we're saying is true. The only authority the preacher has is a borrowed authority. And so we need to be keep checking with the authority, God's word. And here's the thing, when it is, when we do see it's from God's word, it's his voice that we're hearing, not my voice, not Simon's voice, it is God's voice. And we must listen and obey. So that's the first way in which we can fail to hear God's word, when we think we're just hearing someone else talk. That might be true when we're veering away from Scripture. But when we're speaking the words of Scripture, we're hearing God's voice, and so we're to look to him and to obey him. That connects with the second way in which we can go wrong, when we expect to agree with everything. The Bible will confront us. It will get under our skin. We might even find ourselves insulted. The Pharisees complained that Jesus insulted them in Luke 11. Now, just to be clear, this is not an excuse for me or Simon to be insensitive or rude. Where we offend, and it's not from the Bible, we are wrong to do so. And please feel very welcome to call us out on that. But unless... We're perfect, you're perfect in your thinking and utterly pure in your heart and faultless in your actions, then you're going to find the Bible will challenge you. We come into church Sunday by Sunday with all sorts of sort of thoughts and beliefs, views about what is right and what is reasonable. No doubt lots of that is shaped by God's grace and truth in our lives. But inevitably, our thinking or hearts, they will be misshapen in some way or another by our sin and by the culture around us. And so inevitably, there is going to be a confrontation. There is going to be a challenge as we come up against God's word. Uh, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, again in your handout here, about scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. Incidentally, just to say on that, that's why we're committed to preaching the whole counsel of God. Uh, Not all at once, that would be a very long sermon, but over the years, over the months, we want to look at lots of different genres of scriptures, lots of different parts of scripture. We don't want to pick and choose. We want to go from history books to prophetic books, wisdom literature, gospels, epistles, apocalyptic literature. We want to see the whole counsel of God. Because all Scripture is God-breathed. But here's what it does. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. In other words, telling us what we ought to believe. It's useful for rebuking. 
telling us what we ought not to believe. It is useful for correcting how we ought not to behave. And it's useful for training us in righteousness. In other words, how we ought to behave. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that's you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here's the question. Do we expect it as we come to church Sunday by Sunday? Do we expect that? Are we ready to submit to God's word? It's easier said than done. Which brings us to our our final point about the way in which we could fail to hear God's word. And that's this, when we don't do what it says. When we don't do what it says. James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I think the parable of the sower is just incredibly helpful here on how we can get this wrong. In the parable of the sower, you might remember, the seed represents God's word. And the seed that fell on the path, that represents the person who hears the word of God. But it's in one ear, straight out the other. The seed that fell on the rocky ground is the person who's full of joy and with good intentions as they leave church on a Sunday. But then when trouble comes, or when there's a cost to obeying God's word, they soon ignore it. The seed that falls in the thorns is perhaps, I think, where the greatest danger is for us. That represents the person who says this. I, I, I put it down on your handout, I think. Represents the person who, says Jesus, hears, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I wonder if that is a real danger for us. It's not saying that we don't believe it, what we're hearing, nor that we don't have good intentions, but just the stuff of life, the anxieties and the ambitions of life, the worries and the comforts, the good things, gradually they grow up around us like weeds and they start to smother us, putting out the fire that once burned within us. We don't want to receive God's word like that. Instead, we want to receive it like the final soil. We want to live a fruitful life. We want to be the ones who hear the word and, Jesus says, retain it. Read, mark, learn, inwardly digest it. And then by persevering, week in, week out, produce a crop. That is what you want to be, isn't it? That's what I want to be. Someone who produces a great crop, who lives a fruitful life for the Lord Jesus. And this is where it begins. This here, in God's word, this is where the power lies. As he speaks to us and brings the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit into our lives. He breathes life into us, into our minds, into our hearts. And he calls us to receive it 
read, mark, learn, inwardly digest it, and so live fruitful lives for him.